Hi, I'm George Borarki. Cityscape won't be heard this week, so we can bring you a special presentation as part of WFUV's Strike Accord campaign focused on teen suicide prevention. The following is a panel discussion that was produced at the public access network BronxNet. Cityscape will return next week at this time with a look at New York City's comedy scene. We'll see you then. Hello, my name is George Bodarki. I'm the news director of NPR affiliate station WFUV, located on the Rose Hill campus of Fordham University here in the Bronx. Each quarter, WFUV works to raise awareness of a particular issue through our Strike Accord campaign. Past campaigns have focused on everything from mental illness stereotypes to urban health. We're very pleased to be teaming up with BronxNet for our latest campaign, focused on teen suicide prevention. With us this morning to discuss the issue are Dr. Rosa Gill. Dr. Gill is the executive director of Communal Life, which runs a program called Life is Precious. That program works to reduce suicide among adolescent Latinas. Dr. Gill, welcome to the program. Thank you. Jill Harkavy Friedman is vice president of research at the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Jill, thanks for being here. Thank you. And Allie Whaley is the crisis services coordinator of operations for the Lifeline at the Trevor Project. The Trevor Project is an organization that works to prevent suicide among lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning youth. Allie, welcome. Thank you. We're also joined by an audience of high school students and a teacher from the Harry S. Truman High School here in the Bronx. The statistics on teen suicide are sobering. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, suicide is the third leading cause of death for youth between the ages of 10 and 24. It results in about 4,600 lives lost each year. 16% of students in grades 9 through 12 have reported seriously considering suicide. 13% reported creating a plan. This is serious stuff. Jill, let me begin with you. I just rattled off a bunch of statistics, but what would you say is the most important piece of information we need to get out there about teen suicide? Well, I think that the most important thing is that this is a call to action, that along with paying attention to youth's physical health, we also need to pay attention to their mental health. Do you think we haven't been doing enough of that? Well, we, need, we have to get on the bandwagon to actually address mental health problems. We know that 90% of people who die by suicide have a diagnosable and potentially treatable mental illness. We know that suicide is preventable, not necessarily in every case, but in terms of these staggering numbers, we can make a difference. We're going to get more into the risk factors in just mm-hmm. a moment. Are girls or boys more prone to suicide? Well, it's interesting that you ask that question because it really depends on if you're talking about suicide attempts or people who die by suicide. Girls actually make more suicide attempts than boys, about uh, three or four to one, whereas boys die by suicide almost four times more often than girls. What do we know about those rates? What's the why behind that? Well, we don't totally understand it. We know that girls and boys are different. Their uh, bodies are different. The way their bodies affect their brain are different. Society and culture play a role. And we know that girls are often more likely to seek mental health assistance much more often than boys are. Dr. Gill, your organization specifically works with young Latinas. What can you tell us about teen suicide in the Latino community? 
Uh, you know, this is uh, a real challenge for us in the Latino community because according to the CDC data, for example, um, in June, the CDC showed that 14% of Latina adolescents in high school here in the Bronx were seriously thinking about suicide and almost um, 12% attempted suicide. So this is something that is really like a challenge, an epidemic that we are facing in the Latino community. We are recent immigrants, and there's a lot of challenges around um, the parents who don't speak the language, cultural issues, like Dr. Freeman was talking about before. So it is a big problem in our community. How long has Life is Precious been around now? Uh, through the support of Community Trust Foundation, we opened the center here in the Bronx in 2008. We opened the center in Brooklyn in 2009, and we are just opening in November the center in Queens because the data uh, shows that almost double up the rate of suicide behaviors in the world of Queens. Wow. I would imagine that surprises you quite a bit, huh? It is quite disappointing and it's alarming at the same time because we thought that perhaps um, the data was going to show uh, less challenges for these adolescents, but it's not. So that means that we really do have to have a campaign to alert the parents to also share these challenges with the adolescents and help them to manage uh, those stresses that are making them think of killing themselves. Ali, when it comes to the LGBTQ community, what do you know about teen suicide among that population? Well, we know that lesbian, gay, and bisexual youth are three times as likely to attempt suicide than their hetero peers. Um, but we know that transgender youth specifically, over 50% attempt suicide while they're a young person. So, and it's not being lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender that actually increases your risk. But like everyone's mentioned before, it's the cultural and societal stigma and different risk factors that end up affecting that population, like family rejection or um, their own internal coming out process and how they're perceived by society or how they think society perceives them um, and different risk factors like religion or um, other areas demographically we see those different rates spike and fall. What do we know about the correlation between bullying and teen suicide? Well, there's definitely a correlation for all populations of teens. We know for the LGBT population that just not fitting into your expected gender norms can risk heighten that factor of being bullied. Um, but I think uh, all young people who experience bullying have a high, heightened rate uh, risk of attempting suicide. Jill? It's a, it's, the relationship between bullying and suicide is, is very complex because suicide is complex. Mm -hmm. And so in someone who's already at risk for suicide for a variety of reasons, being bullied can serve as a trigger that then increases the risk. If someone is not at risk because of a host of other factors, biological, psychological, social, then bullying isn't going to have the same impact. And we have to remember that the bullies are at the highest risk of anyone. The bullies themselves? Yes, because bullying is a sign that someone's not doing okay, that they have trouble. They're not problem solving in a way that's effective. And so if we understand that, then maybe we can help the bullies. So you talked about some of these other risk factors, but let's boil them down a little mm -hmm. bit more, if you will. What are some of the other risk factors that lead to suicide among teenagers? Okay, so we think about risk factors as sort of underlying longer-term risk factors. 
that set the stage for risk. So those could be things like having a mental illness, could be having a head trauma, it could be substance use, family history, genetics probably plays a role, early trauma, all those things that just kind of raise or I guess lower the bar a little bit. And then there are more near-term risks, like being in an acute episode, having a problem with substances, and uh, a life stress, like being bullied. But still, it's going to be a constellation of mm -hmm. those factors together. And sometimes it is like the straw that broke the camel's back. We know that when you have difficulty problem-solving, that's going to raise the risk a little bit. If we know that a person is feeling connected, that may lower the risk a little bit. But really also just attending to the mental health of this adolescent. Does suicide run in families? There is a hereditary component, but it's not like genetics is destiny. So just because you have it in your family doesn't mean that you're going to be at risk. But it does mean that if you have it in your family, that you need to be extra cautious about your mental health and, and you know, make sure that you have ways of coping and an entourage to help you should you run into trouble, just like any other health condition. If you're at risk, it doesn't mean you're going to get it, but you want to stay on top of it. Dr. Gill, you talked about some of the risk factors involved within the Latino community. I guess you mentioned cultural differences and uh, parent-child relationships. Yes, I think that for the Latino adolescents, the risk factor associated with uh, immigration, different levels of acculturation between the mothers and the adolescents increases the stress. And Dr. Luis Sayas, who is the main researcher of Latina adolescents in this country, uh, his finding shows that uh, there is a struggle for Latinas trying to become more independent, similarly of their peers that they see, while their mother are holding to the cultural values where uh, we women uh, tend to be less uh, independent, uh, more passive, so forth and so on. So there is a conflict around autonomy and independence that does create a challenge for our families and our Latina adolescents. So they want to hang out with their friends on a Friday You're night. Absolutely right. Why not? <laughs> but the parents don't necessarily want them to do that. Uh, no, I think that the parents um, idealize a little bit the experience where they came from. So when a girl says, I'm going out with my boyfriend, the mother said, oh, no, when I was in Dominican Republic, I didn't go out until 9 o'clock. <laughs> and the mothers tend to idealize a little bit of the culture because it is really comforting to them. But the reality is that it is uh, appropriate um, to go out with our friends. And, and I think that that's an issue of autonomy and independence that... Uh, really create challenges for the Latino adolescents, in addition to many other risk behavior, which has to do with bullying, too, and school situations, and um, the issue that L Latinos uh, have uh, some uh, stereotyping about mental illness. So I was going to ask that question about the stigma of mental illness and the challenge that it can sometimes be within the Latino community to seek out mental health services. That's right. That. Um, you know, to being a local in our community, that word uh, really um, sends a, a message of fear. Um, so there is no uh, easy accepting the reality that we all can experience emotional stress and uh, mental uh, illness and that the professional help uh, will be able to help those individuals who 
are experiencing those uh, challenges. Um, there is a lot that we need to do in our community to try to convey that mental health is like physical health. If you are not in tune with it, uh, sometimes you really need like a little better mechanic comes and check mm -hmm. your your car. So we need a little bit of a mental booster, so to speak, uh, to deal with the mental illness or the emotional stress that we have. Now, risk factors are one thing. Warning signs are something else. Mm -hmm. So what are the warning signs of suicide? What do people need to be watching out for, Jill? Well, I think the one thing to keep in mind is that First of all, if somebody's talking about suicide, they're in distress, and it's something you want to pay attention to because it, it is a sign of distress, and it's not typical. So that's the first thing. But people don't always announce that they're suicidal, even if they talk about it. So what you want to look for is a change in the person. First of all, mood. Are they more depressed? Or do, are they apathetic? They just don't care. For teens, are they more irritable? Because irritability can be seen as a sign of depression. Are they using substances differently? They don't necessarily have to have a problem with substances, but maybe they're drinking more than usual or more often than usual. And then the basics, sleep, appetite, energy, sense of self-esteem. If you notice changes in those, either too much sleep or not enough sleep, then you want to do a little mental health check. How are you doing? What's going on? How are your friends doing in school? And really check in with them. Ellie, you have a hotline that you mm -hmm. with the Trevor Project. What do you hear from young people who are calling that hotline? Well, I know that when we train people to work on the hotline, um, they often get really afraid of asking the question, are you thinking about killing yourself? That's something we ask very straightforward on every single call that comes in. And to everyone's surprise over the training, we actually see youth are very willing to answer that question because no one's asking them. And we really try to bring down that stigma of that it's normal to think about suicide. We just need a safe space to talk about it and to work through different safety mechanisms or coping mechanisms through those feelings. Um, so young people talk about it all the time. I mean, we get almost around 40,000 calls a year of young people talking about suicide. And it's one of the first places they're able to come and have someone listen and not judge them for that or feel afraid, but really have that safe space to air out all of those feelings. Um, and usually by the end of the call, they're feeling a lot better and you can hear that change when we check back in with them where they're at. So Jill, it's okay for a parent or a friend to say to someone, are you thinking about killing yourself? It's not only okay, it's important if you're worried about someone to ask them and ask them directly. Mm -hmm. And um, they will feel better more often than not because they're holding it in. And mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of like a balloon that's filling up yeah. with the pressure builds. And maybe that's the entree into talking about what's really going on with them. Mm -hmm. And if we can decompress that, then we can help people to talk about it before they get to the point of thinking about suicide, but rather when they're just not feeling well, an intervention can work more readily. Dr. Gill, how do you bring these issues out into the open among the Latino community? You know, for the mothers, it's, it's kind of difficult for them to hear the message. They feel very um, afraid that their daughter are becoming a loco or loca, I should say. So uh, their first reaction is, almost like a denial that this is happening. Mm -hmm. But as you talk to them and you explain that 
that basically these are stresses that are creating these type of behaviors, that they should not be a denial, and they open up. They begin to see the connections. For example, I was talking to a mother whose daughter was admitted to Kings County Hospital, and she didn't realize what was happening in, in the life of her daughter um, until the admission occurred. But there were the signs there, but the fear is what makes them almost deny that there is a problem. So what we try to do with the parents is to broker, you know, that piece of understanding that there is a need to talk about it, to really approach the, the adolescent and say, you know, let's talk about this. What is really troubling you? Now, you have to put this into perspective because in terms of cultural norms in the Latino community, the mother knows best. So just to come and ask the, the girl, you know, what's really happening and eliciting from her the difference in terms of behavior in the American culture puts the mother on a downsized position as opposed to being the expert, so to speak. Ali, how do you handle that with youth who their parents might ostracize them? They've kicked them out of the house. I mean, that's all too common in the LGBT community. We know that we have a disproportionate number of LGBT youth who are homeless for coming out or for perceived being outed. Um, and, I mean, it's hard. I mean, that's a huge risk factor, as we were talking about complex risk factors. We know homelessness, being rejected by the family and kicked out of the house, is a big red flag um, for attempting suicide. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, what we try to do is connect them with homeless shelters or community because we also mentioned connectiveness, and that's huge. If we can get them connected to a community, um, that will lower the risk again. Again, it's very complex, and there's so much going on, um, but we know that if you're in a rural area, maybe your homeless shelter, the only one nearby, is a religious one, and that might not be the safest place to go. So how do we find different shelters or different sub-communities where they're going to be safe, where they're going to feel supported, where they can continue to talk things out? It's very hard. It's a very hard thing to do. The best thing that we would say for youth is that we always want you to be safe. And I think a lot of people associate coming out with being proud, but for young people it can actually be a huge risk factor. Um, so we always like to walk through those different steps. Is it safe to come out? Do you have a backup plan if you get kicked out of your house? Where would you go? How would you get to school? How would you eat? So we like to walk through those things without making any decision for anyone, but letting them start thinking about the different consequences or pros and cons of coming out. Jill, when is just talking to a teenager not enough and you need to do more? You need to take action. You need to call someone else in. Well, I think if you're concerned, it never hurts to call somebody who has more information about child mental health in. doesn't mean you have to bring into therapy. But any time you're concerned, you might check out with a mental health professional or a school counselor your concerns about your child. But if your child is talking about suicide, if your child, as I said, is not eating, is not sleeping, is using substances, is socially isolating and not coming out of their room, these are all signs that your child needs a safe place to talk. And it's not necessarily the parent who can provide that. And in addition, mental health counselors have training and skills and tools and peers and lots of information that parents don't have. We're allies with the parent. What if your teen tells you after a couple of days, I feel much better, I don't need to go see a doctor, mm -hmm. I'm good, then well, what? Well, I think that happens a lot because there is a calm in, in feeling understood and reconnecting. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, if someone's already seeing someone, it's okay to say, you know what, go a few more times, then you'll discuss it with the counselor or the therapist. And the, together the two of you can decide. Or have a checkup, have a time for a mental health mm -hmm. checkup, go in, go for four or five sessions, then we'll reconsider and revisit. What's the recovery process like for a teenager who did in fact attempt to take their own life? You know, you use the right word, process. It is a process. It often involves engaging the family or engaging in a program that can offer some assistance and support while you're going through that process. The family can't be everything to a person. And there are ups and downs. If you're in therapy, it may take a while to find the right person. If you're taking medication, it, we don't have an easy matching. Oh, this goes for you and that goes for you. So even the process of feeling better can take weeks to months. And so you need to know to hold on that you're working with people and you're with family and friends who are going to support you through that process. And then you have to do your own mental health check-ins, learn about what your warning signs are, learning about what your triggers are, learning about, oh, wait, I'm not sleeping. Maybe I'm not feeling as great as I think I am. And then there are tools. There are apps available now, like the Safety Plan app that you can use. So there's a lot out there. There's a lot of supports. Dr. Gill, you want to add on to that? I, I want to say that it's very important, this piece of connectiveness mm -hmm. for the mothers, the family, as well as the, the girls. In Life is Pressure, for example, we already know that the, uh, the girls, when they come to the program and they stay with the program, that we begin to see how the suicide behaviors go down. And we know that because actually, you know, through the support of the American uh, Suicide Foundation, Research Suicide Foundation, we have gotten uh, research, preliminary research findings that show the effectiveness of that connectedness. Because in the program, you know, the girls uh, um, can come every day if they want to, uh, and they experience, they share their experiences. The same thing for the mothers. And then the counselors become like cultural brokers, if I may, um, to explain to the girls, you know, that some of the mother's uh, attitudes um, are okay because she came from another country. And then we explain to the mothers, you know, that some of the um, behaviors that the girls want to have is very acceptable here in the United mm -hmm. States. So it's building that uh, or building that sense of community within the program. Ali, what's your advice to someone who has a friend who attempted suicide? I would imagine it can be awkward at first to approach that friend. Yeah, I mean, we get a lot of calls into the lifeline, actually, of young people looking out for their friends. We have education services that go into schools and actually teach young people warning signs of suicide for each other. Um, so that's actually a really common thing we get is young people looking out for each other and being like, I don't know what to do. My friend attempted suicide or I think they might be attempting suicide. Um, and, and the best thing we do with them is tell them this is really brave and awesome of you to have taken this first step to reach out for help. And the next step might be connecting them with an adult, whether that's a parent oftentimes in LGBT's life, that might not be a parent. But maybe it's a teacher at school. Often schools have mental health counselors who are there who are equipped with tools. And if they're especially concerned if a friend has disclosed an immediate plan, reaching out to 911 and reaching out for help and really empowering those young people to make that decision because it's hard when you're like, well, if I call 911 or if I tell my teacher, um, my friend's going to hate me. So really walking through those different steps of you know, hate or saving a life um, with that young person. So it's actually very, very common for young people to look out for each other. 
Julie, here we are talking about teen suicide on radio and on television. What impact does the reporting of teen suicide in the media have on teens contemplating or hurting themselves or taking their own lives? The media can play a positive role or a damaging role. And it's really about how you talk about it. So here today, we're talking about things that you can do, risk factors, warning signs, how to approach somebody. Where it's a problem is when it's sensationalized, when you're talking about methods that people use, particularly if it's in a headline, if you're romanticizing it. Those kinds of things can actually generate suicidal behavior. So the idea is to talk about it in a safe way that's, that provides assistance and help and suggestions. And in that way, we can start the conversation and thereby maybe bring down the rate of suicide. We're quickly running out of time in this half hour. As I mentioned earlier, we have a class here from Harry S. Truman High School in the Bronx. And we want to get to some of their questions on this important issue. So let's turn it over to them for questions. If you can just tell us your first name and your question. Oh, I'm Quincy. How, how does um, our physical health affect us, affects our suicide attempts or makes us want to commit suicide? I can take that. Uh, that's a great question, Quincy, because our physical and mental health go together. And so if your physical health is not, if you're not well, I mean, think about how you feel when you have a cold. You can't even concentrate. You can't talk to people. Mm -hmm. So there is a, there's an intimate relationship between physical and mental health. And for girls, there is the cycle of change and a premenstrual cycle, which makes a difference. The food you eat. Exercise improves mood, so there's a very tight relationship between physical and mental health. Um, my name is Rosani, and um, what is your advice for like your, for like teenagers now that they're thinking in their mind about suicide? What is your advice to tell them? I would tell them to reach out for help. Um, we have a 24-hour lifeline that you can call at any time. Even though we're geared towards LGBT youth, we take calls from all young people across the country. But to meet youth where they're at, we also have chat services on your computer and text services you can text in for help. So I think reaching out for help, I would say, would be the number one thing to do. My name is Cleopatra, and my question is, I know this is about teen suicide, but how about the children? Um, I have a sister. She's 11 now. She recently tried to commit suicide, and she was admitted to the hospital. So what would you say to that? Should we focus on the children also? You know, we, you know in the Life is Precious program, we have um, uh, accepted then our part of the program, you know, a girl who is 11 years old. Um, so, you know, the, the response is she was admitted. I mean, she should continue to be receiving services and also uh, uh, involving the parents of the 11-year-old. Uh, if possible. You know, one thing to realize is that actually it's very rare and unusual in children. So if you see that at all in kids, you want to pay close attention. But the other part to remember is that children and youth are luckily, fortunately, at the lower end of the risk spectrum. Mm -hmm. And that the old, really the middle-aged and elderly people are at the highest risk. The reason why it's important that we're talking here about it is because we have an opportunity to start at the very beginning and teach people strong mental health care uh, behavior and attitudes mm -hmm. so that we can take down the whole 
uh, rate of suicide across the whole life spectrum. So at AFSP, our goal is to reduce the rate of suicide by 20% by 2025. And one of the ways is to start very upstream. Don't get to the point that you're suicidal. Get help early. We have time for one more quick, quest quick question. Sure. My name is Dave. And as a teacher at Truman High School, a lot of times I'm the first point of contact for young people who are th having suicidal ideations. How do I strike and my colleagues strike a balance between our role as a mandated reporter and we have to refer them for counseling and also being that trusted adult when that student wants to talk to someone, but they don't want us to take them to counseling. They don't want us to refer them, but we have to. In about a minute, who wants to take that question? You help them more by talking to people than by keeping a secret. All right, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, we're mandated reporters too, and it's definitely a struggle that everyone goes through on different reports, but I think it's, in, it's important to remember that man, reporting that is actually giving, connecting them to more help. Even if they don't like it in the moment, they might be thankful in the long run, and it might just save a life. Dr. Gill? My, my experience is that we talk to the adolescents and they eventually they understand that we are mandated to report it and at the end they feel better uh, because almost they can see that this is a sign of our caring mm -hmm. and, and protecting them. Another quick question for our researcher here, what more do we need to learn about teen suicide? We need to learn more about what to do when somebody's feeling suicidal. We need more to learn more about how to promote strong and positive mental health. Well, that's all the time we have for this special collaboration between public radio station WFUV and BronxNet focusing on teen suicide prevention. I want to thank our guests, Dr. Rosa Gill, Jill Harkavy-Friedman, and Ali Whaley. For a list of resources on teen suicide prevention and more information on WFUV's Strike Accord campaign, visit WFUV.org slash Strike Accord. I'm George Boldarki. Thanks for being with us. WFUV and WFUVHD New York. Listener-supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here. <laughs>